you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, it's on page 857 in the Bibles around you. And while you're doing that with one hand, take your other hand and open up a hymnal that's nearby you to hymn number 196. Luke chapter 2 and hymn, hymn number 196. And as you're doing that, can I just give you just a a little piece of current event information that's unrelated to to the sermon this morning. Um, You probably have been hearing in the news over the last week or week and a half about some things going on over in China, particularly with the persecution of Christians there. Uh, Pastor Wang Yi and uh, his congregation, the Early Rain Covenant Church, Uh, The pastor, his family, his wife, his family, and a hundred members of the congregation were all uh, detained this past week. And some of them are still uh, in custody and they're being accused of various crimes against the communist government. Um, You should be praying about that just as you hear it, as uh, the Lord brings that to your attention. But let me... Uh, Let me bring it a little closer to you. Uh, Pastor Yi and his congregation are connected to our denomination. The day before he was arrested, um, a pastor friend of mine, a PCA pastor, was meeting with Pastor Yi in uh, Shanghai. And they had just come up with a plan uh, to plant 100,000 churches in China. The next day... Pastor Yi and the many people were arrested. Uh, so I just, I'm giving that information just as an extra encouragement to be praying for the pastor and his family and the congregation and for the Lord's work to go forward in the planting of gospel-centered churches in that part of the world. So take that as you will and, and uh, may that encourage you to be praying for um, all of them there. Now, let's look at Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 21 down through verse 35. If you've been here over the last couple of weeks, you know that we're taking a break from our regular uh, Ephesians series, and we're doing this little mini-series on Advent, and we're looking at the Scripture, the, the, word, the word of God, behind some of our beloved hymns of Advent. And we're, we're doing this for three kind of goals, three things that we're trying to do. One is that we might understand these Advent hymns better to know what we're singing. Uh, but most importantly, what we're doing is using the hymns as a window into the biblical story of what the Scripture teaches us about the coming of our Savior. We're hoping, uh, using the scriptures to better understand the truth that we get in these hymns. The hymn today that we're looking at on, on uh, hymn number 196 was written by Charles Wesley. It was one of the very first hymns that he wrote, probably around the 17, early 1740s or so. But I want you to notice in the hymn today, only the first and the fourth verse were written by Wesley. Uh, the second and the third verse uh, were written about 230 years later in the 1970s. Uh, so we're going to focus primarily on the first and the fourth verse today, but there is plenty there. There's some 16 scriptural references and allusions just in those two verses. And Luke chapter 2 is what gives us our foundation this morning. So listen as I read to you from verse 21 down through verse 35. And at the end of eight days, when Jesus was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. 
And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said, what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that you would help us by sending your Holy Spirit and opening our hearts and our minds that we might see wonderful things from this portion of your word. I pray, Father, that as we contemplate this wonderful message of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would cause us to have a deeper understanding of who he was and is, of the gospel that he brought to your people. And may that encourage us and fill us with hope and peace and joy that we might truly go out and live for you this week ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you do when you have to wait for something? Particularly if you have to wait a long time. Maybe it's something as simple as just having to wait in line at the store. Or maybe it's something like driving up to the airport in the Twin Cities and having to wait in traffic to get where you're trying to go. Um, maybe it's having to wait on buying something because you have to save up your pennies in order to be able to afford it. How do you do when you have to wait on something? If you're like me, it's really hard. I tend not to be a patient person by nature. And when I'm caused to wait for something particularly that I didn't cause to happen, I get very impatient. And I tend to not want to wait very well. Luke is telling us the story about a man who was waiting for something. We don't know a whole lot about this person. We read in verse 25 that this man lived in Jerusalem. He was, relig or he was righteous and devout. He was, he was a God-fearing man. And we know that his name was Simeon. And we're told that the Holy Spirit was on him and that he was waiting. And we're even told what he was waiting for. At the end of verse 25, we read that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
That was a, a phrase, a terminology that meant that he was waiting for those promises that God had made to his people in the Old Testament to come true. And in particular, that promise of one who would come to be the, the Redeemer, the Messiah who would bring peace and hope for the people of God. Simeon is waiting and has been waiting. We don't know exactly how long, but it was probably was for a long period of time. And we don't know for sure, but likely he was an older man at this point, getting closer and closer to when he would die. And we're told that eventually Simeon would get what he's waiting for. If you look in verses 27 and 28, Simeon came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents, that's Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God. He got to see and experience what he was waiting for. And in response, look at what he did in verses 29 through verse 32. He broke out into a song, a hymn of praise and blessing, a confession of faith, if you will. It's referred to often as the nunc dimittis. It's a Latin phrase, which means now you are dismissing. It comes from Simeon's first words in verse 29. Now, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Simeon, having seen the one he was waiting for, the one who had been long promised, the, long who was, the one who was long expected, Simeon grabbed the Lord Jesus and he was at peace as he saw him, filled with joy. Some of you have seen Rembrandt's painting of this scene. It's actually the third painting that Rembrandt did of this particular scene that shows a focus on Simeon's face. Holding the Lord Jesus, there is this sense of relief on his face. You can tell, even in the painting, that Simeon is at peace and his lips are open and he's about ready to speak the words of verses 29, through follow, 29 and following. So here's what I want us to reflect on this morning. What was Simeon waiting for so long that once it arrived, caused him to be at peace and to have incredible hope and even joy? Now, it's not a trick question. We know who it was, right? It was the Lord Jesus. He was holding the Lord Jesus in his arms. But what does Luke tell us specifically about Jesus in our text this morning that filled Simeon with peace and hope? I want us to see three things this morning. First, that Simeon was looking at a law-fulfilling Savior. And that he was looking at a global Savior. And also that he was looking at a Savior with consequences. So first of all, the Savior that Simeon was holding, the Savior that Simeon knew would bring peace and hope, was a law-fulfilling Savior. Sandwiched between the story that we've been looking at in the previous weeks of the shepherds and the angels and the story that we'll look at today about Simeon, sandwiched between those two stories are these three or four little verses, verses 21 through 24, easy to overlook, and yet they're filled with incredible information of what Mary and Joseph and the temple authorities did with Jesus. Look at what we are told, that Jesus fulfilled the law of God. We see that first in verse 21. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. That is, that Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to 
obey the law of God in the Old Testament, which required all males of Israel on the eighth day to be circumcised. It was customary at that time also to receive the name, which is what we're told. that They gave him the name that the angel had told them to call him, the name Jesus. And so what we see is Jesus coming into the temple, being brought into the temple, and receiving the sign of the covenant, the shedding of blood, connected now with Abraham, a true son of Abraham, fulfilling the law of God. We see another aspect of that in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses. This is another aspect of how Jesus was fulfilling the law of God. It says that it was time for the purification according to the law of Moses. It probably took place several weeks after his circumcision. And it's in reference to Leviticus chapter 12. And there God gave his people a law that said after giving birth to a son, a mother was considered unclean for 40 days. And at the end of that time, they were required to go back to the temple and to make sacrifices to bring a lamb and a pigeon. Or if they were too poor for the lamb, two pigeons. Now there's a couple interesting things about this if you think about it for a second. First of all, Mary technically wasn't unclean. Jesus had not been conceived in the normal way. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Mary wasn't technically unclean in the same way that others who gave birth in the normal way were unclean. But on top of that, notice what we're told here. When the time came, in verse 22, for their purification... Jesus was also participating in this purification rite to fulfill the Old Testament. And Jesus was not unclean. Not only had he not been conceived in the normal way, but he would live a life free of sin. So we have this very interesting fulfillment of the law of God, not because they in some way were against the law, but Jesus was submitting himself to the law in order to fulfill it in every way. There's another aspect of this in verses 22 and 23. We read that the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses. And what did they do? They brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. They were bringing Jesus in fulfillment of this part of the law which comes from Exodus 13, to dedicate or to set apart the firstborn son. So what's going on there? Well, if you remember what's happening in Exodus 13, we read about the the exodus of God's people, God uh, bringing his people out of Egypt. And after the rescue, the redemption of God's people from Egypt, he gave them a law to follow. It was designed to remind them and to teach them about what he had done for them. In remembrance of God rescuing Israel by taking the firstborn of the Egyptians, every firstborn male in Israel was to be presented to God and given in service to him, set apart, consecrated. Some would do that by having their son serve in the temple. Or there was also provision made for paying five shekels and thereby redeeming the oldest son. 
So Joseph and Mary are perfectly fulfilling the law by bringing Jesus and presenting him to the Lord. And in a sense, what they're doing is redeeming the Redeemer. Not because Jesus was sinful, not because he was guilty, but simply submitting Jesus and themselves to the law so that Jesus might fulfill every part of it. Wesley reflects this in his hymn that we have before us, uh, hymn 196. In verse 1, line 1, we, we sing, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Jesus came and submitted himself to the law, obeying all of it in order to set his people free from the power and the punishment of the law. Verse 4, line 1 says, Born thy people to deliver. Jesus was born into this world to deliver his people from the penalty of the law. And then in verse 4, line 4, By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. It was because of Jesus coming and fulfilling the law perfectly in every way, never sinning once, and perfectly doing all that God required of him, that his merit was sufficient to give us righteousness before our creator. You can even see this a little bit in uh, the verses that were added later. Uh, in verse 3, line 2, we read that by his life, by Jesus' life, he brings us gladness, our redeemer, shepherd, and friend. It's by his faithful obedience to the law that we get the gladness of having our sins forgiven and the righteousness of Jesus credited to our accounts. This is the good news of the gospel of, of grace. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden by not following God's law. And as a result, every single person after them that they represented are guilty. First, because of Adam and Eve's sin on their behalf, but also because of our own sin. And the only way to fix that problem is for God himself to come to this place to keep the law perfectly, never sinning, always obeying, which is what Jesus did, and then offering his life as a sacrifice. He took our sin upon himself and he gives us his righteous record, as Wesley pens in verse 4, line 4. And as we reflect on that, it is, it is right <coughs> it is appropriate for us to get to a point where we say, that's not fair for the sinless Son of God to come into this world to live a life of perfect love and obedience to His Father and then to go through everything that He went through and to be crucified on a cross. That's not fair. And that's the point. That's why we call it Grace, because we get something that we don't and could never deserve. There's a likely fictional story that is told about a downtrodden, out-of-luck family. It was a young Swedish woman who ran off and married a Scotsman by the name of Campbell. About after a number of years and three children, Mr. Campbell left this young Swedish woman and her children. And the woman had to go back home in shame and disgrace. She could only afford to live in an old broken down trailer dependent on handouts from her family and from her friends living in despondent poverty. One day, a letter arrived at their trailer from Scotland. The letter was inquiring into their family background, the heritage of their family. 
over a period of time, eventually it was told to them that the Campbell family, of whom they were a part, was direct descendants of the Scottish House of Stuart, an ancient royal family line of Scotland. And now this woman and her children children were heirs to the throne. As these letters went back and forth between her and these Scottish officials, one letter arrived addressed specifically to the woman's firstborn son. It said this, Your Royal Highness, discovering you and your family has been the happiest accomplishment of my life. And if God in His infinite wisdom should deny me the opportunity to meet you face to face on this earth, I should still count myself the luckiest of men for this chance, however small, to restore Scotland to her former greatness. Please know that you are in my thoughts and prayers every day and that I will work with every ounce of my being to restore you from your sad exile to the lands, the goods, and the reverence to which you, by the will of God, are entitled. They were engrafted into royalty with all of the benefits and the privileges of being part of the royal family. How much more so for us who are in Christ Jesus this morning, because of Christ coming and fulfilling the law of God for us, of His redeeming us from the curse of the law, we now are given the status of royalty. We now are made the children of God, the children of the King of Kings. And we are in His thoughts and prayers daily. And He is working to restore us to the glory that we deserve because we are sons and daughters of the King. That's this amazing truth that Simeon understood and that brought him peace and hope and joy. He understood that this was a law-fulfilling Savior, but he also understood that this was a global Savior. Look at what he says in his song of praise. Verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. Simeon's prayer is acknowledging that through Jesus, God provided salvation for all kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. Simeon seem to understand something that many people scratch their head about for many, many years, including the Israelites, I'm sure. Why would God allow the Romans to invade and occupy the promised land? But Simeon understood that God brought the nations to Israel that they might be able to experience the birth of the Messiah. Into the darkness of the world of the nations, the light of the gospel of salvation was shining. And Simeon was abundantly clear. The gospel, God's salvation that he saw in the Lord Jesus Christ was not just for Israel, but it was also for the Gentiles. It's the same thing that Paul would tell us later in Galatians chapter 3. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Wesley reflects this in his hymn in verse 1, lines 3 and 4. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, 
joy of every longing heart. And here's the, here is the why. Here's why this reality should be the joy of every longing heart. What Luke tells us, what Simeon sings of, the birth and the life of Jesus Christ here on earth, His death and resurrection and ascension back up into heaven is the fulfillment of God's covenant promises. God had promised to send a Redeemer to bring an end to the power and punishment of sin and to right the wrong of the Garden of Eden. God promised to Abraham that He would bless him and through him bless the nations. God promised to draw people from every nation and language and ethnicity. And almost all of us sitting in this room this morning are evidence of that being a reality. So we like Simeon, and I would say even more than Simeon, should be filled with peace and hope and joy We know, even better than Simeon did, that God has been faithful to His covenant promises. Our God can be trusted. We can have a genuine and real hope in Him. We are never promised in this life to have an easy and comfortable life. We are not promised to have no difficulties or challenges, and maybe even have those things for the entirety of our lives. But God has promised that He will never leave us or forsake us and that He will bring to completion the good work that He has begun in us as His people. He has promised to use every circumstance of our lives to shape us into the people that we should be and that bring Him glory above all things. This reality should also motivate us to care about the global expansion of the gospel The growth of God's church and kingdom around the world. God is building His church. It is a global church that is made up of people from every nation and language and ethnicity. And here's the beautiful thing. Just like in first century Israel, we today here in Rochester in southeastern Minnesota live in a place where God is bringing the nations. We don't have to have a mindset of trying to get ourselves halfway around the world in order to see how God might be using us to be a blessing to the nations. All we have to do is go across the street or go to the grocery store or go to work. And God, what a privilege God has given to us to be a part of the work that He is doing in building His global church. But not just here. We also have an interest in seeing God's church grow in other places around the world. What a privilege we have as God's people. He's building a global church. What a privilege we have as God's people to be able to and be enabled by him to participate. Whether by praying or giving or going or helping others to go. We have the privilege of participating in this incredible work that he's doing in building his church around the world. This is a global savior. One last thing that Simeon understood as he held the baby Jesus in his arms. That is that this savior was a savior that came with consequences. Simeon was holding Jesus in his arms. He sang and prayed to God. And then he turned to Joseph and Mary. And he blessed them. And then he said these words to Mary in verses 34 and 35. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child 
is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This was a Savior who came with consequences. This is a Savior who would be soul-piercing. As Mary, as Simeon's telling, her, telling Mary that as she would watch Jesus grow up, And then to go into ministry, she would watch him experience hardship. She would see him go through isolation. She would see him being ridiculed and persecuted. And eventually she would see him hanging on a cross. And she would be filled with sorrow and grief. And her soul would be breaking as if it had been pierced with a sword. And it's a reminder for us this morning. Following Jesus in this life will not be easy. Being a Christian does not remove us from pain and grief in this life. If God did not spare Jesus' own mother from experiencing pain, we can be sure that we won't be spared from it either. But our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ does give us what we need to persevere even through soul-piercing difficulties and challenges. In fact, I would say Christianity is the only thing that gives us an explanation, an understanding of how to deal with evil and suffering in this world. Christianity is the only religion or philosophy that fully explains how it could be the case. We understand that evil and suffering and sin was not how this world was initially created and designed. That evil and suffering and sin came into this world as a result of the fall and God is not okay with it. And He did something about it and He is doing something about it. And as we wait now between the first advent of our Lord Jesus Christ and His second advent that is coming, we wait with hope and a a sense of encouragement knowing that when Jesus returns, it will bring a completion of all the work that God is doing. So like Simeon, we live now with peace and even with a joy as we wait. There's another aspect of this Savior being a Savior with consequences. You can see that in verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. What Simeon is telling them, and what he's telling us as well, is that there is no neutrality possible with this Savior. Jesus was appointed For the fall and rising of many. And he says later in verse 35, hearts of all will be revealed. This season, this time of life is a time or the season of of the year is a season of of sentimental feelings and of warm thoughts. And and there's nothing wrong with those. It's it's wonderful if we're able to have warm and fun and and even sentimental feelings and, and experiences throughout this season. But that's not the primary purpose for why the Christ child came into this world. The birth of Jesus actually brought division God broke into creation and called on everyone to respond to his son being born into this world. I think many of you, as, as well as myself, enjoy during this season of, during this season of the year uh, to listen to Handel's Messiah. You maybe hear it uh, on the radio or maybe even go to a performance of it. Uh, it's a familiar and well-loved a hymn of praise. And especially during this time of year, especially when the chorus is sung, we, we get into the Christmas spirit and it gives us this, this warm feeling. But I always wonder, do we really know 
what is being sung in the chorus of Handel's Messiah. Now, I'm not going to sing it for you this morning. I will spare you from that pain. But let me just, let me just mention some of the, the, the words that are said, some of the, the concepts that are mentioned in the, just the chorus of Handel's Messiah. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. The kingdom of this world is being taken over by the kingdom of the Lord. Christ shall reign over it forever. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Christ reigns over all forever. In other words, God is sovereign. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is the all-powerful ruler of the universe. And He alone reigns over everything. Everything is is subjected to is subjected to Him. Everything is in submission to Him. He is the absolute authority and demands submission from all. This God has no possibility of neutrality. You are either with King Jesus or you are against Him. You are either in submission to Him or will be conquered by Him. Either He raises you up or He brings you down. Those are the only options. That's Simeon's point. There is no neutrality There is a call for the response of all who would hear this God. Will you be raised up or will you be brought down? And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus does raise up his people. That word rising in these these verses that we are considering this morning is the Greek word for resurrection. Wesley refers to it at the very end of the hymn in verse 4, line 4. To believe in and to trust and to rest in Jesus means that you will be raised up. Simeon understood in part. We understand more fully. Because we now know the manger would lead to the cross. The cross would lead to a tomb. And the tomb would lead to an open tomb. And an empty tomb. We know that Jesus later in his life would sing his own version of the Nunc Dimittis. Some 33 years after Simeon was holding the baby Jesus and singing these, verse, these words in verses 29 through 32, we read in Luke chapter 23 that Jesus sang his own version of that hymn. As he's hanging on the cross, in Luke chapter 23, he says to his Father in heaven, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Translated, now you are letting your servant depart. But there was a big difference between Simeon's song and Jesus' words to his father. Simeon sang, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. Jesus wasn't able to depart in peace. Jesus departed, gave up his life in anguish and pain and shame and judgment. Why? So that the only one who rightly deserved to die and have eternal peace would give it up for his people to have peace. He would say, Father, forgive them for they do do not know what they are doing. Jesus left with no peace to secure our peace. The one who lived a long and hard and wearying life of perfect obedience and love to his father and to his neighbors earned eternal peace, but rather than departing in peace... He gave that peace away to his people and instead took on the wrath and judgment of God that we deserved. 
And that means that if you're in Christ here this morning, we live now waiting for the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ in a similar way as Simeon did in the first advent. And we can be patient as we wait, full of hope and peace and trust. We've experienced a faithfulness of the Lord even more fully than Simeon did. And as we wait and we go through maybe even soul-piercing difficulties, when we are tempted to give up, when we are tempted to lose trust, when we are tempted to give in once again to our favorite sin that promises us satisfaction, we can trust and obey and love the Lord more than our doubts and those sins that would pull us away from the Lord. A pastor friend of mine tells a story of a time when he was pastoring a small church out east. And he remembers a time when a young woman contacted him, a young woman from the congregation. She was upset and she was agitated and she wanted to meet with him. So they set up an appointment as they sat across the table from one another drinking coffee. She began to share uh, how upset she was about how her life was going. And at one point she said, I know that God loves me. I know that he saved me. I know that he will take me to heaven. I know that I am his adopted daughter. I know I am going to live forever with him. But what good is all that when I can't get a guy to even notice me? This young woman had her heart in that moment fixed on the attention and the affection of a young man. More so than the affection and the attention of the Savior. If she could just get someone to like her, she could feel good about herself and find meaning and significance and maybe even peace and joy in this life. And at that moment for her, knowing Jesus loved her wasn't enough. She had an understanding of the gospel, but in that moment, the gospel wasn't gripping her heart. And that's why Simeon pointed out Jesus was appointed not only for the rising of his people, but for the falling of others. If we refuse to believe and to trust in him, if we refuse to humble ourselves and follow him, if we refuse to confess that we are sinners in need of a savior and that Jesus Christ is the savior that we need, if we refuse to believe in the forgiveness of our sins and the righteousness coming to us only through Christ, if Jesus is not enough to us, if we have to have other things to be ultimately and finally at peace, then we're not rising, we're falling. But instead, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You'll be raised up. You'll find true peace and joy that your heart is longing for. And you'll have the strength to endure as we wait for the second advent, singing, Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we live our lives in between the advents of our Savior Jesus, we're thankful for your word that points us back to all the reality of his first coming. But we admit it's so hard when we see a world that is filled with brokenness that touches us in such significant ways. Father, we, we come before you and we, we claim that we are people who need the strength of the gospel. Would you, through the work of your spirit, help us to believe this wonderful message that we celebrate this season, that we celebrate in every season, 
Help us to be overwhelmed with your grace and mercy to us through Jesus Christ. Help that so to grip our our hearts and our imaginations that when we're tempted to give in, when we're tempted to those sins that and many times are so precious to us that we would have the strength and the power through your work in us to overcome. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In our text this morning, we encountered this man, Simeon, that we don't know much about, uh, as we heard said earlier. Uh, but he was a man who had long waited uh, for uh, Israel's uh, promised Messiah, the long-promised Savior of the world to come, the Lord's Christ. And so, as, as he encountered uh, Jesus as a young child, he could leave this world, he could depart uh, in peace, uh, knowing that God's uh, long-promised Savior... Uh, the Lord's Christ had come. And so we contrast that with Jesus, who we know departed this world too at the cross. But he did not depart in peace, of course. He departed uh, with much suffering, pain, and judgment as he uh, took God's punishment upon himself for the sins of the world. And so uh, so this, the manger that we celebrate, uh, Jesus' first coming, his advent that we celebrate this season, uh, eventually led to the cross uh, where Jesus would die and suffer and give his life. Uh, so those who believe and trust in him might have forgiveness of sins, that might, they might have eternal life. And so even as we come to the Lord's table today, as we come to the, to the supper, we know this peace better even than Simeon did because we know that Christ has come. Not only has he come, but he has died and he's been raised to new life. And that new life that we will take part in one day uh, at Christ's return. And so we can come to the table this morning, we can eat and drink knowing that this peace has come. This peace has come through trusting in Jesus Christ. And so if this describes you this morning, if you know this, this peace of God that we have through Christ and have put your faith and trust in him, then we invite you to come and take and eat of these elements that your faith might be strengthened, that you might proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. If you're here this morning also and you don't know this peace and you don't know Christ, uh, as, as Paul says, we ask you to let these elements pass you by. Uh, and instead, think upon and, and, uh, during this time and, and ask the Lord to reveal himself to you and who he is and what he's done and what that means for your life. But if you do know the peace that we have through Christ, and I invite you to come and take uh, and eat of this meal. Let me pray for us now. Father, we thank you for the peace that you have brought, the peace that you have brought to us through Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, Lord. And so I pray now, uh, as we take of this meal, that you would encourage our faith uh, that we might live in light uh, of what is true, that the peace of God has come and it has come through Jesus Christ himself. It's in his name we pray. Amen.